Irving Ordell woke to the sound of the klaxon. A new day, a new shift. He stumbled from his bunk, bleary-eyed and drenched with sweat. He'd had that dream again. The one with the wall, pockmarked with bullet holes, and the men and women huddling against it. And someone had been shouting a name, Vragroth. It sounded vaguely familiar, like a childhood friend he'd long forgotten about. Yet the name disturbed him. It seemed to presage menace, chaos, the darkening sky before a storm. Around him, Irving's fellow humans were getting ready for work, whistling, joking, pulling on their overalls and boots. Heart still racing, Irving reached for his clothes. Once dressed, he left the hut, grabbed a hunk of cornbread from the mess tent and washed it down with a pannikin of coffee. Then he joined the hordes of workers trudging, hopping, gliding and slithering towards the tunnels. Someone jostled Irving as they passed. A Dracovian. Irving clenched his fists. He hated everything about the planet Dracoi and the brutes who called it home. Hated their rough, snorting language. Hated their pasty skin, bulging eyes, hands the size of shovel blades. Hated them for what they'd done to his people during the invasion of New Third Rock and the three years of bitter war which had followed. We've all come to this planet for a new start, Katerina, his foreperson, had said shortly after Irving arrived on Amalga. It's time to put aside our differences. We're all amalgamates now. But Irving would never forget. Hey, Irving shouted at the Dracovian. Watch where you're going. The Dracovian turned. Maybe try walking a little faster, he snarled, in surprisingly good English. Irving raised a hand, but his mate Sandeep grabbed his arm. Let it go, he whispered. We'll get those animals tonight, okay? Irving breathed hard. Okay. They reached the mouth of the tunnels, where Irving headed for his locomotive. Hector, how did the Dracovians invade New Third Rock so fast? Irving spun around. The Dracovian who'd bumped him was nearby, joking with a friend, again in English. How? asked the other alien, laughing. They marched in backwards and the humans thought they were leaving. Irving sprinted over and shoved the alien in the chest. Think you're funny, do you? The Dracovian looked astonished. I wasn't speaking to you. Sandeep rushed to his side. Irving, what are you doing? Standing up for New Third Rock. Didn't you hear them insult our people? Sandeep frowned. How could I? I can't understand their stupid language. Irving stared at him. Huh? They were speaking English. Sandeep shook his head. No, mate. They were speaking Dracovian. He stepped away from Irving, face wary. And so were you. Big Finish presents Doctor Who Short Trips. Identity Check 
by Yuzani Pusenjak, read by Jacob Dudman. Rose Tyler stepped from the TARDIS into a vast tunnel. Light bulbs were strewn along the dripping walls, but the dusty air made it impossible to see more than 30 feet ahead. A set of narrow train tracks snaked down the length of the tunnel, the harsh whine of a locomotive growing ever more distant. The chamber reeked of diesel and gunpowder. An explosion sounded in the distance, and the ground trembled beneath her sneakers. She turned around to see the Doctor emerge from the TARDIS. Where are we? Like I promised you, one of the greatest underground scenes in history, replied the Doctor, his grin stretching all the way between his large ears. Didn't think you meant that literally. This is the planet of Amalga, Gromni Galaxy, 29th century. We're underneath the Wurzite Mountains. 1,000 trillion pounds of rock right over our heads. You sure know how to take a girl somewhere special, Rose remarked. We're in the middle of one of the greatest engineering feats in the galaxy, said the Doctor. The Colossus River Diversion. I don't see any river. That's because it hasn't been diverted yet. They're still digging the tunnels. Once that's done, they'll alter the course of the Colossus so it flows right through these mountains. One million people live on the other side. This project's going to bring them electricity. Irrigation, a lifeline. The haze was clearing, revealing a multitude of workers. Two enormous worm-like aliens slithered past, planks and ropes strapped to their backs. Another creature, all scales and tusks, was welding a pipe, quite literally with its own hands. Sparks flew from its fingertips as it joined the pieces of steel together. Another group of aliens with protuberant eyes and gigantic hands scooped chunks of rock into a wagon. And two men, humans, were placing a drill bit against the wall. A melting pot beneath the mountains, commented the doctor. Drawing migrants from all over the galaxy, here for work and a better future. He was cut off by a drill, biting into the rock face with a teeth-rattling din. The ground shuddered with another explosion, and several pebbles dropped from the ceiling onto Rose's head. Want to go top, side? yelled the doctor. Rose nodded gratefully, and they hurried back inside the TARDIS. Seconds later, Rose opened the door. They were now outside, amidst thin bushland. Night had fallen, and the moonlight glittered off the mountains half a mile away. Several small huts stood nearby. She breathed in the sweet, cold air. A series of bangs came suddenly from her left. Doctor, what's that? He frowned. We'd better check it out. A small group of men and women were hurling stones at one of the huts, Many bounced off the tin roof, clattering like gunfire. From inside came the flare of a lamp and panicked voices. The door opened, revealing a pyjama-clad Dracovian. 
A stone whacked the alien in the face, causing it to stagger backwards with a squeal of pain. Oi! bellowed the doctor. He strode towards the humans. For an instant, they hesitated. Then seeing the fury in his face, scattered. Rose approached the Dracovian, who was now sporting a nasty cut on its forehead. You okay? He, or possibly she, Rose wasn't sure, nodded. Rose looked around, but the doctor had vanished. Several other aliens, woken by the commotion, had emerged from their huts blinking and confused. She hurried past, following a rough path through the scrub, and finally caught sight of the doctor near a row of wooden stalls signposted toilets, standing over one of the men. Collared this one, you see where the rest went? asked the doctor. Rose shook her head. The doctor turned his attention to the man. Want to explain what you were playing at? The man looked no more than thirty, but his face was tired and streaked with soot and grease. He scowled. They deserve it. Yeah? What'd they do to you? Nick you lunch money? Asked the doctor. They're Dracovians, said the man. So? Asked Rose. So they're scum. You're human, aren't you? You should understand. She is, I'm not, and no, we don't understand, replied the doctor. Humorous. The invasion. New Third Rock, 13 years ago, said the man. The Dracovians claimed they owned our planet and decided they wanted it back. All because they once founded a piddly settlement there 1,000 years ago, but we wouldn't let them take what's ours. We colonised it. It belongs to us. The doctor crossed his arms. Oh, yeah. The war for New Third Rock. Three years of hell, the man stated. Good humans died in that war. Some were soldiers. Others were just ordinary people who tried to fight back and were executed by those monsters. It was a nasty business, admitted the doctor. But the war ended ten years ago and your lot won, destroyed the Dracovian fleets, if I recall. The man gave a harsh laugh. <laughs> Some victory. Our planet in ruins. Whole cities destroyed. People starving in the streets. Why do you think I'm here on Amalga? A sightseeing jaunt? No jobs back home, and me with a family to support. My mum, my granddad, my sister, and her two young ones. Rose thought back to her history classes, wishing she'd paid more attention. Most of her time had been spent down the back, passing notes with Shireen, or doodling Jimmy Stone's initials inside love hearts. But she did remember learning about the Vikings, and Vicky Tibbs asking whether they were all bloodthirsty warriors. Mr Morris had explained that, no, many Norsemen were normal people, often from poor areas of Scandinavia who just wanted to settle in a better land. But why give these Dracovians a hard time? asked Rose. I mean, you don't know they were part of the invasion. Loads of them might just be ordinary people, trying to do their job, same as you. The ones who were in charge, or did the really bad things, surely they were punished after the war? Not all of them. Some managed to escape, replied the man. And for the avoidance of doubt, you're just going to keep on hating any Dracovian who crosses your path, demanded the doctor. The man stood, fed up with the conversation. Who are you two, anyway? Clearly not the police. What gives you the right to question? Before he could finish, something strange happened. His image flickered, 
as though it were being viewed through an old movie projector. And in between the flickers, someone else appeared. Large, pale, with bulging eyes. For a full second, a Dracovian stood before the Doctor and Rose. Then, in the time it took Rose to blink, the Dracovian vanished, to be replaced by the man once more. Me, he finished. What just happened? breathed Rose. Don't know what you're talking about, muttered the man. You changed. Your whole appearance just changed. The man shook his head violently. You're imagining things. The doctor pointed at the toilet stalls. Smell that? You're full of the same thing, because we saw you change, and you felt it too, didn't you? The man suddenly crumpled to his knees. Rose saw terror in his eyes. I don't know what's happening to me. How about we start over? Asked the doctor. I'm the doctor, and this is Rose. You are? Irving Ordell. What's your occupation, Irving? Engine driver. The doctor pulled out his sonic screwdriver. Anything weird been happening lately? Like what? The doctor shrugged, scanning Irving with the screwdriver. Headaches? Memory loss? No! Irving paused. But this morning I was arguing with one of them. We were talking in English, or at least I thought we were. But my mate reckoned we were speaking Dracovian. How could I not know? The doctor studied the screwdriver. Hmm. Human DNA, but there's traces of something else. Some sort of non-human interference. Irving ran his hand through his hair. They've tampered with me. Who's tampered with you? Asked the doctor. The Dracovians. They must have done something to me. If you're a doctor, can you help me? Make it stop. If the Dracovians tampered with you, it wasn't recently. According to the Sonic, the interference happened ten years ago. During the war? Asked Irvin. I was in a POW camp for the last three months. Maybe they conducted experiments on us or something. And wiped our memories? Not impossible, replied the doctor. I... I've also been having nightmares. Keep dreaming about the invasion. And these people up against a wall. And there's a name. Vragroth. Sounds Dracovian. Maybe this Vragroth did something to me? Only one way to find out, said the doctor. Trace the interference back to its sauce. Fancy a trip to New Third Rock? He and Rose set off, with Irving trotting after them. Sure, but the next shuttle doesn't leave for another month. And anyway, we don't have time. My shift starts in six hours. Won't be a problem, believe us, said Rose. Irving looked puzzled when they reached the TARDIS. The doctor ushered him inside, and his jaw dropped. It's a whole room, inside a little blue box. He ran towards the console. All these levers, what do they do? Easy there, Casey Jones, don't touch. Bit more complex than your mining locos, said the doctor. He punched in the coordinates, hauled the lever, and the TARDIS dematerialized.
Moments later, Irving followed the doctor and Rose outside. To his amazement, they had moved. He recognized their location as the zigzag forest. The sunlight slanted through the crooked tree trunks and the scent of fresh pine filled the air. The final battles of the war had been fought on the nearby plains. This is New Third Rock. The doctor nodded. Ten years ago, dying days of the war. We've traveled in time. Yep. Impossible, exclaimed Irving. But in the distance, he heard the familiar sounds of war. Shouts, explosions, machine gun fire, the whistle and crump of shells. But how? Never mind that now. Follow me, said the doctor. He led Rose and Irving through the forest for several hundred meters, checking the sonic screwdriver at intervals. They stopped at the edge of a clearing. This is the place we're nearly bang on time. They crouched behind a fallen log, waiting. From the other side of the clearing came crashing footsteps, and a Dracovian soldier burst into view. His tattered uniform bore the stripes of a captain. One of his eyes was swollen shut, and he carried no pack nor gun. The soldier flung himself face down on the grass, panting. In the center of the clearing, another alien materialized. Humanoid, with green skin and slicked back hair, and, bizarrely, carrying a large briefcase. It eyed the soldier appraisingly. What's that? asked Rose. Not a species I've seen on Amalga, said Irving. It's a scritin, whispered the doctor. Very rare, very opportunistic. Tends to pop up in weird places, death row, natural disasters. End of wars. The Dracovian soldier raised his head, and upon seeing the other alien sprang to his feet. Who are you? The Scritin smiled, setting down the briefcase. Someone who can help you. I don't need any help. The Scritin's smile never slipped. It is spring. 2981. The war for New Third Rock is all but over. You are a native of that illustrious yet somewhat belligerent planet, Dracoy. But right now you are alone, injured and unarmed. I'd say you need a lot of help. The humans are coming for you, yes? The Dracovian hesitated, then nodded. The humans are not entirely unreasonable. If they catch you, you can expect a few months, maybe a year, in a labor camp before they repatriate you. Unless you are not an ordinary soldier. Unless you have something to hide. Unless you could be identified as a soldier who has, shall we say, executed certain activities. Tell me, my friend, are you an ordinary soldier? The Dracovian was silent. Murderous swine doesn't want to admit anything, muttered Irving. Shh, said Rose. The doctor threw Irving a dark look. I'll take that as a no, said the Scritin. Which means, if caught, 
The humans are likely to charge you with war crimes. Put you on the stand. Tell me, do you think the humans will give you a fair trial? The Dracovian gave a bitter laugh. <laughs> They'll lock me up and lose the key. Or worse, give me a lethal injection of flesh-eating nanobots. And it serve you right, said Irving. Reckon you'd best keep quiet, Irving, said the doctor. It's not my fault, continued the Dracovian. I was fighting for my people. Our land. We only wanted to reclaim our planet, not start a war. The humans should have surrendered. Nuts to that, said Irving. The Scritton unbuttoned his jacket, revealing a pair of natty braces. Again, I can help you. How? By giving you a new identity. Irving noticed a strange look appear on the Dracovian's ugly mug. A look of hope. A new identity? New name. New appearance. The Scritton paused. New memories. The Dracovian did not like the sound of that. He stepped away, blaring. New memories? Makes things more authentic. You won't have the hassle of trying to remember a cover story. It'll all be there in your head. What happens to my old memories? Scrapped clean. The Dracovian paced around the clearing. I'll forget everything. Even my own name? Even that. Replied the Scritton. He reached out and grabbed something from around the Dracovian's neck. Snapping the chain. Dog tags, Irving realized. Say goodbye to Vragroth. Vragroth? Echoed Irving. He started to rise, but the Doctor and Rose pulled him back down. That's him! The name I've been hearing in my dreams! Yeah, we know, said the Doctor. But you need to let this play out. Here's how it works, the Scritton said. For a modest fee, I perform a simple memory implant, followed by a DNA rewrite. Completely painless. My people are specialists in this field, and I am no exception. The materials we use are harvested from the recently deceased. As it so happens, I acquired some new material this morning from a young human soldier who expired in a prison camp. Vragroth snarled. You turn me into a filthy stewman? That's all I have. And as the soon-to-be victors of this war, it would be to your distinct advantage. Unless you'd prefer to retain your present identity. Go on the run. Take your chances. Alternatively, I could easily capture and kill one of these woodland animals. Would you rather be a squirrel or a rabbit? Fine, said Vragroth, grimacing. Humanities. There followed a brief discussion between the aliens regarding money. Irving couldn't quite catch all of it, although at one point Vragroth yelled, You call that a modest fee? In the end, however, the Scritton presented Vragroth with a form, which he signed. The Scritton opened his briefcase 
and took out a rectangular object, about the same size and shape as the box in which Irving's grandfather kept his cigarettes. Attached by wires were tiny suction cups, which the Scritton placed on Vrag's forehead. Within seconds, the Dracovian's face slackened. The Scritton then took what looked like a small fire extinguisher and sprayed Vrag all over with a green mist. For a second, nothing happened. Then the Dracovian's body rippled, contracting, shrinking. His skin pinkened, black hair sprouted from his head, and the eyes retreated beneath their brows. Irving found himself looking at a young, male human. A human he'd seen many times before in the mirror. The Scritton removed the cups. One last thing. Can't have you wandering around dressed like the enemy. He handed the man a pile of clothes. Trousers, a short jacket and a cap. All magenta. The uniform of a POW. A pleasure doing business. Said the Scritton, packing up his items. You may suffer some side effects. Temporary amnesia and... A mild addiction to coffee. With that, he dematerialized. After stumbling around in circles for a few minutes, the new human also left the clearing, heading towards the woods from which he'd emerged as a Dracovian. Irving closed his eyes, head whirling. He was dimly aware of the Doctor and Rose walking into the clearing. He heard them quietly converse and the whir of the Doctor's funny silvery device. Then they were back. These belong to you, said the Doctor, tossing the dog tags into Irving's lap. No, they're not mine. I'm Irving Ordell. I'm 31, an engine driver. I fought in the war. Grew up on New Third Rock. The pink lakes in summer and the frost flowers in winter. I remember as a boy, my grandfather telling me about his grandmother coming from Earth on the spaceship. They're not your memories, they belong to Irving Ordell, said the doctor. I am Irving Ordell, I'm not Vragrov. But as he spoke, an image flashed before his eyes. Men and women wearing bandanas, lined against the wall. And him, hefting a machine gun in his enormous hands, the humans pleading for mercy. Major Croth pointing at the prisoners. Shoot them, Captain Roth. That's an order. Raising the gun. The shots, the screams, the silence. He killed them, whispered Irving. They were partisans hiding in the hills. Didn't even have guns, most of them. And Vragroth executed them in cold blood. You are Vragroth, said Rose. There was no warmth left in her green eyes. But I've changed. I'm not him anymore. A new face doesn't make you a new person, said the doctor. Underneath you're still the same, a murderer. Irving was speechless with horror. Then a thought struck him. Why am I remembering now? Why am I changing back? Scanned the area, found traces of that stuff Gumby squirted you with. 
I reckon your mate ripped you off. It's unstable, not enough to reverse the DNA rewrite, but it does explain the wobbles in appearance. Memory implants probably shonky too. Technology's wearing out. Irving grabbed the doctor's jacket. So? Fix it! I... I don't want to remember! The doctor pushed him away. Why should you get the luxury of forgetting? But it's not fair. I want to be Irving Ordell again. Not fair, roared the doctor. Was it fair when you slaughtered those people? Please. Yeah, I imagine that's what they said. How'd it work out for them? But I'm not him. I've changed. From bullets to rocks, you're right. The doctor threw his hands up in mock contrition. My mistake, all's forgiven. He shot Irving a withering smile. Irving's gaze swung between the two of them. Rose's contempt, the doctor's anger. Neither showed any sign of giving in to his pleading. Irving crumpled. What do we do now? He asked. They were back on Amalga, near a stone building with a blue lamp out the front. It was daylight, but dark clouds loomed on the horizon. In the distance came the faint buzz of drills from deep inside the mountains. Police barracks, said the doctor. In you go. Defeated, Irving entered the barracks, followed by the doctor and Rose. The officer behind the desk, whose badge read Sergeant Rubio, looked up. Can I help you? She asked. I'm a Dracovian war criminal, stated Irving. I've come to turn myself in. Sergeant Rubio raised an eyebrow. Care to repeat that? I'm Dracovian. I committed crimes against human civilians during the war for New Third Rock. I need to face the consequences of my actions. If you're Dracovian, then I'm the queen of the megaworms said the sergeant. A scritin gave me a false identity, explained Irving. Scritin? What's that when it's at home? Look, said the doctor. We were there. We saw it happen. Happy to give a statement if it helps. Sergeant Rubio scratched her chin, then took a jar of swabs from her desk drawer. Open up. Irving obliged. Sergeant Rubio swabbed the inside of his cheek, then placed the sample onto a device that reminded Rose of a sandwich press. She closed the lid for ten seconds, opened it, then inspected the swab. 100% human. His DNA was rewritten, said the doctor. If you watch for long enough, his appearance might change, added Rose. Rubio leant back in her chair, crossing her arms with a sigh. Everyone stared at Irving, whose appearance remained resolutely human. I don't know what you lot are playing at, but you're wasting my time, said the sergeant. He's confessed. What more do you want? insisted the doctor. Get lost!
Outside, the sky was slate grey. Irving sat hunched over a rock, apart from the doctor and Rose. I could try Jadunia. I don't care too much about hard proof. He sighed. Who am I kidding? His DNA reads as human. No one's going to find him guilty. I think he has, said Rose. Look at him. He hates himself. The doctor glanced at Irving, who was twisting his dog tags through his fingers. That's all he is, Rose. A small, pent-up ball of hate. He hates the humans, then he hates the Dracovians. He might hate himself now, but give him time and he'll find someone else to blame. And you're happy with that, are you? Happy? Of course I'm not happy about it, but what else is there we can do? We're too late. For them, yeah. But we can't leave him like this. If he attacks someone else, that's on us if we don't at least try. The doctor looked at the bent ruin of a man, still cradling the dog tags of his former life. He strode over to Irving. The broken man barely acknowledged it, but as the doctor sat next to him, he finally spoke. I'm going. All right, the doctor nodded. Where are you going to go? Dunno. Somewhere far away. Some place isolated. Where I can lock myself away and not hurt anyone else. Irving finally looked at the doctor. If they won't imprison me, I'll do it myself. And when you get there, wherever that is, how long do you reckon you'll stay there? However long it takes. No. Whatever Irving had expected the doctor to say, it wasn't that. What? I thought you wanted you to face justice. You running away to some rock isn't the same thing, not at all. It's just the scritting all over again, another attempt to evade responsibility. Once again, Irving slumped into himself. But there's nothing else I can do, he protested. Yes, there is. Trust me, Irving, I know, I've been there. There was a war, and I fought. I killed. To end it, I did something far worse than what you did. And when it was all over, there was just me, alone, with no one to answer to but myself. What did you do? I started again. Recognised who I was and said, this stops here. No one else suffers because of me. I tried to be a better man. Helped people. Stopped others from hurting the innocent. Irving considered this for a moment. And that's enough? I don't know. The doctor stared off into the distance before turning back to Irving. Redemption's in the eye of the beholder. Might be forgiven, might not. Either way, it doesn't matter. You just have to become a better man. Because tomorrow you might stop someone else from making the same mistakes. You could start with those mates of yours. The ones you were throwing the rocks with. If you run now, all you'll be is a killer and a coward. If you stay, you could be more than that. Better than that. Irving sat for a moment, lost in thought, before he stood and began marching back towards the police barracks. He glanced over at Rose, a flash of a smile appearing on his face, before he turned back to face the barracks. Lightning cracked overhead, 
followed by the boom of thunder. Irving froze as another bolt of lightning split the sky. With the following roll of thunder, he ran. The doctor and Rose raced after him. As they drew level, Irving blurted out an explanation. Electrical storm. He pointed upward to illustrate his point. The morning shift will be setting charges in the tunnels. I need to warn them. Warn them of what? Shouted Rose. Lightning strikes can cause random explosions, said the doctor. Might bring down the whole tunnel. The three of them ran, speeding toward the mountain. They reached the tunnel entrance, just as another spear of lightning lit up the sky. An explosion from within the mountains rocked the ground, reverberating through their ribs. Workers streamed out of the tunnel, some bleeding, others carrying their injured friends. Amongst the throng, Irving spotted the shift's supervisor. The man was half-dazed and in broken sentences managed to convey that a team had been working at the deepest point below the mountain. Irving surveyed the scene, desperately searching for something, anything they could use to help. He found what he was looking for and sprinted towards it. The doctor and Rose barely had time to catch up with him. Seriously? The train? asked Rose. It stood on the tracks, abandoned. Fastest way in! said Irving, leaping into the cab. If I hurry, I can get to them in time. Good man, said the doctor, as he and Rose clambered aboard. Full steam ahead! There was no time to argue. Irving yanked on a lever, and the loco jerked forward. Inside the mountain, Irving guided the speeding loco around the bends. An explosion sounded, nearly jerking the levers from his hands. They sped past workers, stumbling and coughing towards the exit. Every impulse screamed at him to get out, throw the train into reverse. Just one rock on the tracks and the train would derail, slam into the wall. Yet there was a crew in the deepest part of the mountain, in deadly danger. Now Irving saw them for the first time huddled at the end of the tracks. Dracovians. Strange, covered in dust and blood, blinking with fear, they no longer looked like the enemy. Just fellow workers who needed a helping hand. He hauled on the brakes, bringing the train to a halt. Into the wagons, quick! The Dracovians didn't hesitate, piling in. Irving, the doctor and Rose helped lift several of the injured aboard, Irving raced to the cab at the other end, and they were off, hurtling back down the tracks, turning, swaying, accelerating, ground shaking, roof vibrating. Then the tunnel plunged into darkness, the path ahead only lit by the locomotive's lamp. But there was light ahead, getting nearer and nearer, and the locomotive flew from the tunnel, screeching to a stop just as the tunnel mouth collapsed behind them.
Nobody died. Thanks to you, said the doctor, as they stood by the TARDIS some hours later. The storm had passed, the rain transforming the bushland into a blaze of vivid colour. I'm glad I helped, replied Irving. It's a good start, said the doctor, but there's plenty for you left to do. Only you get to decide your future. What'll you do next? Rose asked. As she spoke, two humans passed by. One pointed at Irving. That's him, the chump who risked his neck for the Dracovians. Her friend snorted. Should have left them there. Only good Dracovian is a dead one. Irving smiled wryly. Lot of people here still think like I used to. Someone needs to start changing that. The doctor grinned back. Good for you, Irving Ardell. With a final nod, Irving turned and chased after the two humans. The doctor and Rose watched him go. Does he succeed? I don't know. Shall we find out? When Rose opened the door, it was dusk. They were on the bank of an enormous river, the water cascading from the tunnel in the mountains through a series of waterfalls before snaking downstream into a valley. Forty years into the future, projects finished, said the doctor. So this is the Colossus River? Yes and no. They renamed it. It's now the Great Amalgamate River. Different name, different course, but still the same river. Nearby was a bench and a rock garden. Rose noticed a plaque on one of the rocks and moved closer to read the inscription. In memory of Irving Ordell, who promoted peace and unity on Amalga, died at age 39 from injuries sustained while saving the life of his friend, Sandeep Kumari, in a tunnel fire. Dedicated by the peoples of New Third Rock and Dracoy. Underneath there was a picture of a human and a Dracovian clasping hands. She turned to the doctor, blinking back tears. He died. We were only talking to him minutes ago and he's dead. He kept his word, became a better man, said the doctor before adding softly, I hope he made peace with himself. Yeah. Rose wound her arm through the doctors, and they stood there by the diverted river, watching the lights wink on across the valley, keeping the darkness at bay. <laughs>